Hey gang, welcome back to episode 12 of the Let's Level Up podcast. My name is Rick, and I am the uh, captain of this proverbial sinking ship. I wanted to just say a quick sorry to everybody. I know we haven't done any Mage Wars Mondays for what seems like forever. Um, We're still planning on doing those with the Arcane Wonders guys. Things have been just incredibly, incredibly difficult to schedule around, and um, work has been just consuming every facet of pretty much everything, which really stinks because at the end of the day, all I want to do is play games and have fun. But unfortunately, that doesn't always pay the bills. So uh, I wanted to uh, get back together, and I know the Arcane Wonders guys are really busy traveling and stuff with trade shows and uh, you know different expos and whatnot. So um, I wanted to do an episode of the Let's Level Up podcast, and I had a couple people in mind. And um, the person I have with me today is actually someone I tried to do a podcast with three months ago or something like that and ended up um, just getting so swamped and I feel terrible. But she's here with me today and I'm super stoked about it. Uh, The one and only, the one Tar, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. Um, And yeah, no worries about the the delay. (laughs) I was moving the entire time, so it was fine. We both delayed on that one. Yeah, that was good. I mean, um, Tiffany, I wanted to, I've wanted to talk to you forever. Um, really, since we did um, that one Spooning Meeple's Resistance episode, I really, um, uh, I really find your both your on-screen personality and just you as a person very endearing. And I mean <laughs> that in the in the nicest way possible, without sounding like a creep. That I mean, that sounds really nice just straightforward so <laughs> i think <Okay>. you're <laughs> yeah well i know there there are two things that i really admire about you and we talked a little bit about one before we started recording but your your drive and your willingness to do what you love or what it seems you know from what it seems as an outsider's perspective and <laughs> uh and the fact that you like that not necessarily that you like to but you you aren't afraid to call people out on their bullshit <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty well known for that one, aren't I? That last one. I, I love it, man. There's there's so many times, uh, and I don't want to, you know, not to rub anybody's name in the dirt, but there's so many times people are on a little bit of a high horse, and it and it and it really kind of sucks the fun out of this whole thing for me. Is when people bring egos to the game table, and uh, I, I I get a lot of pleasure when you when you take them down a peg. I really do. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm I'm glad my my little Twitter rages occasionally can <laughs> can bring bring happiness to some people. Um, they usually just work me up more. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I mean, uh, at at the end of the day, how how many fucks do you give? Um, I think they. I actually. I think I give too many fucks about a lot of things. Um, which is one of the reasons why I give. I, I I like am so willing to call people out on their bullshit. Um yeah. but in regards to like how people like Yeah. In in terms of how those people react or like whatever to to my calling them out, those I give zero fucks for. But um, <laughs> and I also I just I'm like this is the first time I've been on a podcast where it's not like PG and like so when you said called bullshit my eyes just got like huge and then you're like saying like how many fucks do you give and i'm just like oh my god i can just like talk i don't have to censor myself this is gonna be weird and awesome <laughs> yeah you definitely you definitely don't have to censor yourself um and for the, the audience usually isn't 
used to hearing me speak like that either. But I wanted to, I think I wanted to present a little bit more of who I am, you know, away from my family and uh, the little ones. And since they don't really listen to the podcast side of things, I like to try to keep it more me. And uh, unfortunately, cursing kind of comes with that territory. Now I get that one. <laughs> I understand you on that one. Yeah. Um, no, so awesome. um, let's walk me through a little bit. You you were and you still are, but um, you know you you went through quite a bit of uh, you know life changes. You've moved um, to mm-hmm. Oregon, if I'm if I am not mistaken. Yeah, we moved and, to Portland, Oregon. Uh, and, and you almost you stopped working ago. at your job for a long time, right? You had a, a really successful career. You hated it, <laughs> and what it seems like you walked away from it to. to to do more of the stuff that you love. Can you walk Can you walk me through that process and what that was like for you? Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess I'll, I'll rewind it a little bit more um, from before when I quit, but um, I I checked all the boxes. I'm a big, I'm a big society check all the boxes kind of person um, uh-huh. where, you know, society says you have to get a high school diploma and then you have to go to college and then you have to get a you have to get a degree in something that you can get a like career out of, and then you you go and you pursue that career and all this other stuff. So, um, I graduated high school. I immediately went to college. I graduated from college early because I was like, you know, I'll check all the boxes, but I'm going to check them my way, which is as quickly mm-hmm. as humanly possible. Uh, <laughs> and then I got a job and I got a career, and it was it was on track and it was going and um. For those that might not know, I am um, I was a software engineer. I guess I technically still am a software engineer, but I'm not really engineering software currently. Um, but yeah, so I did all that stuff and I worked for some very large corporations uh, in the software engineering field that probably people are aware of, and I'm just not gonna name them. Um, for sure. But um, I worked for three megacorps, as I like to call them, and. I was always okay with it for a time, and then there just always became this point where I just I just realized it was just complete bullshit. Like, we were manufacturing and working on products that nobody really wanted, and the stuff that people wanted, like, we wouldn't give them. And it's this like, you know, and you see... I worked um, specifically in UI development um, as mm-hmm. a UX developer for the non-techies. That means user experience developer, so it's a developer that focuses on the parts of software that the user will interact with and focuses specifically on coding good experiences for uh, that interface for the user. And when you're that close to the users, you do a lot of like interactions and surveys and you go to customer sites and you talk to them about how they use their soft- your software and like all this other stuff. And just after... You get attached to it. There's a human you... element there that gets put, put in there. Yeah, and it's it's not just I can't just sit there and make like, you know, stupid decisions because it costs the company less money. I'm like, no, we need this for our users because they want it and there is demand for it and it makes sense and and you know, all this other stuff. And so after 8 years of that, I just was like, I can't do it anymore. Um I just I I would get really unhappy and it, I would change jobs. Like I would find another company. I did that um, a couple times, 
and I would be happier for a little while. And then I would just, it would be like the same thing over and over again, even at companies mm-hmm. that say that they tailor for the user. And it was just like, I can't, there's no, I can't do that. Like I could call out a lot of my manager's bullshit and I did that. And, um, but at a certain point, like they, your manager, if they're not fighting or if you're not in the right structure, like they can't, you can't go all the way up to the CEO on a lot of these big mega corps. You can make tiny little changes. And uh, I worked with a lot of people that had been there their entire careers at this one company, and they had worked their entire careers to make like one little change. And yes, it was a monumental, awesome change, but it's just like also this is ridiculous that this took you 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. Um, yeah. So I was just sitting there, and I was like, <laughs> I don't want this to be my life. <laughs> You know, like, I don't want yeah. my entire life to be trying to make a difference for people in just one little, like, one megacorp where at the end of the day they don't actually care. Um, like, the company itself doesn't care. So, yeah, and I I examined it, my li- I examined my life and I examined what um, made me happy. And at the time that was... I was making YouTube videos and mostly playing board games. <laughs> <laughs> mostly playing board games specifically about YouTube videos. Um, and people seem to really like my content. So um, I set up a Patreon months in advance um, just to see how much support I could get from folks. And um, I looked a little bit into finding a job at a smaller company, but... Um, Silicon Valley is notorious for burnout and just for treating its developers horribly. And if you're a female developer, it's even worse. So I wasn't interested in going to a smaller company that's like a startup level. Um, and I didn't, nothing, if I'm not passionate about what I'm working on, I'm just, I just don't care. Um, and I don't do my best and I just get miserable and it's kind of sucky. So, um, yeah, I get that a hundred percent, man. That's, that's exactly how I am. Yeah. So it was like, if unless I find a company that works specifically with what I want to do and what I can be passionate about, which usually is not very high paying, um, I just like it won't it won't work for me. So um, I talked to Steve, um, who at the time was just my boyfriend, and he <laughs> he was like he was like you know what when we first met and started dating. Almost a year, like over a year ago, um, you said that you hated your job, but you were only there for like a short period to do some stuff. And then you were going to quit and find a different job. And it's been a year. And when we first met, you had been saying that, you said, for about a year. So <laughs> it might just be time for you just to quit. Um, how, how, cool, how cool is Steve? He's, he is the coolest. Um, he is my favorite person. There's some times when I could do without his puns, but, um... (laughs) (laughs) Steve Rule. Every time you post a a tweet about Steve and I see it, I just, I always do hashtag Steve Rules. That's funny. Yeah, Steve is, um, Steve is my favorite person. He's, yeah, I'm really lucky. Especially in, it's kind of funny, because in Silicon Valley, like, there's just dude developers flipping everywhere uh-huh. the percentages i believe it's there's seven men to every woman in silicon valley um but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're all like great so yeah. <laughs> it was it was a long it was a long weeding out process for me to yeah. stumble upon steve um 
I'm really is lucky. Steve a de- is Steve a developer by trade as well? He is. He's a he's actually an Android developer, and he's the reason uh, we moved to Oregon. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, but like I quit my job, and then I um I had a friend that was like, hey, we want to kickstart this product, and it's a technical product, but we need like we we have developers, but we have no one to do like design and UX. So um, I signed a contract with them, and I've actually been doing contract work for them for a few months, and that and that pays more or less the bills. And then my Patreon for my YouTube channel pays, like, the extras that are on top of the bills. Um, sure. And get also, you a new game every now and then. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Which is it, which was kind of what its purpose was. Um, and also, if I need any equipment or anything like that. Um, and then every once in a while, I, I have somebody reach out that is interested in, in having me do something freelance for them. So, um, in the end, I'm not, I'm not making anywhere near as much money as I was before, but I am happier. And, um, we, um, Steve and I decided, um, when Steve's company started doing transitioning in like January slash early February, we decided, uh, we both wanted to move out of the Bay area one, because Mm -hmm. I was just, I just decided it wasn't a place where I could find like, happiness (laughs) happiness <laughs> um outside of like steve <laughs> in my living room where we play uh-huh. board games so <laughs> um so we both really liked the pacific northwest we had a few other locations in the world like we were even looking internationally and um steve steve was gonna he wanted another job at a tech company and he wanted to try something different so he looked in at some companies in seattle and he looked at some companies in portland and he ended up interviewing and really, really liking a company in Portland. Uh, we did like a mini road trip where we drove up to Portland, Seattle, so he could do interviews and stuff. And we also went and hung out with people in Seattle at like Mock's boarding house. And um, yeah, he ended up getting a job in Portland. He ended up getting the job he really liked, which was great. Always awesome when that happens. And That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We were really lucky um, in that the company that he got hired for or, or at uh, has a relocation bonus, so they were paying for our move, basically. So we got to move to Oregon more or less for free once, you know, we actually do get the reimbursement. <laughs> so, That's awesome. Yeah, it worked out really well. Um, it's just, it was like one of those, if we don't do it now, like we'll never have a better chance because it's like, it's on a silver platter. <laughs> yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's the reason we moved to Portland, Oregon. But I mean, it was, it's the Pacific Northwest. And it turns out that there's a lot of people in Portland that I know through Twitter and whatnot. Um, so it's worked out really well. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So, um, What's the what's what's the gaming culture there like? I I, I saw a couple of tweets. You said that there's it's so insane. you're riding your bike and people are just playing Twilight Imperium, whatever, in their in their it's, garage. It's yeah, just... <laughs> it's there's so many people came here. I went to the the like the freaking first day we're here. So we get into Portland at like midnight on a Sunday, and we have we have nothing. I was smart enough to pack toilet paper like in our suitcases, so we have that. Okay. <laughs> When we get here, but we get go. here at midnight and we wake up the next morning and Steve has to shower so he can go to work. But we don't have a shower curtain because our previous apartment didn't need one. And this one, uh-huh. this apartment does. So we're like, OK, well, Steve, you've been trapped in a car for 12 hours. You can't go to work on your first day in person without a shower. 
So I get up early and I went to Target and I was like, I was, I was there. They like opened the door the second I walked in. It was, I was like the first person in the store. And so they were still restocking or, or whatever. And there uh-huh. were two guys in the bathroom, whatever section of Target, and they were talking about their Magic the Gathering decks. They were like nerding out hardcore about their Magic decks, and then they were also talking about like the like they the one guy was talking about his deck and how he really wanted it to play like a flux deck, like he wanted like flux the card game. Everything's always changing. Yeah. Well, yeah, and he wanted, to, and then he started telling his buddy about flux, like. Looney Labs flux and I was just like where is this town that I've moved to yeah, that's <laughs> like, awesome um and Steve and I have just noticed that continually like um his his office has a few people that board game and and know about it and stuff like that and there's a there's several board game stores around um I've had several people on Twitter you hear Ichi barking in the background um mm-hmm. hello Ichi yeah <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was a response to you because I don't think she can hear it. Um, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> but um, so, like, we've had we've had several people on Twitter reach out and be like, "Oh my God, you're in Portland, we should play games." Um, and then I started doing this Tiffany Unpacks and Oregon series on my YouTube channel, and I've had people mm-hmm. leave comments on my YouTube channel like, "Oh, hey, you're in Portland, we should play games. How do I not creepily invite you to my house?" Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like it's crazy to us because in the Bay Area, board gaming was very much a it was like an underground hobby. Like everybody knew somebody who knew somebody that was really into the board gaming hobby, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like oh hey let's go to dinner and the couple next to us is talking about you know eminent domain and like all this other stuff. So mm-hmm. um, it's the gaming culture out here is just super intense and I, I it's yeah um, the story we were saying was I was actually walking Ichi and I was recording a Couch to Con episode which is a podcast um, that I do with Fiddleback or with Brian Casey who's Fiddleback on um, Twitter and I was just walking Ichi and there was this this garage opened as I was walking Ichi and I was getting close to the garage so I peeked in the garage because I was like oh is a car going to back out you know do I need to stop for the car? And no, there's just two guys sitting at a like a dining room table that has Imperial Assault on it, and they are starting up a game of Imperial Assault in the garage. And so I went <laughs> up and I introduced myself, and like I introduced myself in Ichi, and we just had like board games everywhere in the garage. This was his quote unquote man cave. <laughs> he had a ton of shelves, and um. His name is Jeff, and we're going to try and figure out when we can play games, but I got a cold, and then he got a stomach flu, so... But he's, like, oh, super goodness. excited, um, and he lives, you know, half a block from us, so... That's awesome. Yeah. That's it's really cool. It's crazy. I feel like it's more intense than Seattle, because I feel like Seattle, there's great board game stores, like Mox and Mox Cafe and, and Uncle's Games and stuff like that, but I feel like... I feel like in Portland, board gaming is more of an everybody does it, not just like this cult- subculture within the culture. Yeah, that yeah, sense. that makes sense. Yeah. So, what have you always been a gamer? Um, not always. I've always liked board games. When I was a kid, um, we played a lot with my family. I mean, the standard Hasbro stuff. 
And uh-huh. um, I really latched onto those. And Risk was like the most strategically complicated game that we had. Because if you're only buying games, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago from Target, that is the most strategically whatever game that there is at sure. Target. Um, so if, I mean, I always wanted to play board games and I always felt like there should be more than risk. And, um, one of my friends had Settlers of Catan when I moved out to California and we played it and I was like, this is the best thing. Um, and then another friend introduced me to Dominion and I was just like, my world has been changed. Um, so I've kind of always been a gamer in that regard. Like I've always loved playing card games and board games and I was the one in the family always being like yeah let's play Stratego yeah let's play Risk yeah let's play Monopoly Um, but it wasn't until I didn't realize that the hobby was as massive and that that there was so much to play until Mm -hmm. um, until I moved out to California and met some people that were like yeah no game stores is a thing like (laughs) And they don't they don't stock seventeen versions of Monopoly like. Yeah, that's awesome, and I mean it's it's really funny because, you know, a lot of people have a very myself included have a very similar story to tell, about how they got you know hooked on the board game, and it's always you know it's always Dominion or Settlers or uh, Carcassonne, um, you know, even people get into it through Risk, like you said, it's. It's it's really cool to you know the, a lot of people share the same origin story almost like if this was a comic book, uh, we all come from the same place and that's that's neat. Yeah, I think it's. I wonder if it's part of it's generational, um, you know. And I'm wondering, I'm very interested to see you know in twenty thirty years what all the kids of the board gaming hobby are going to be doing and saying about about oh, their yeah. origin stories. Yeah. My son is who's six has designed probably five or six games. I oh, couldn't wow. tell you how to play any of them because the rules always seem to be changing. Um, but he'll basically I'll buy him a game like I got him King of Tokyo um, for his birthday a couple years ago, and um, he took all the cards out. He had he had drawn these things on pieces of paper and um, had his own cards in there, and he had different types of units that had to fight the monsters off. <laughs> it was just really cool to see. So I'm I'm really interested into what's going to happen in, in ten years with him when he's sixteen and he's and he's trying to publish something that's going to be great. That's fantastic. That's yeah. funny. Uh, is there is there anything that's coming out that you're looking forward to? Oh, I I honestly don't know. I have been so out of the loop with um, upcoming games. I. <laughs> uh, the move has really consumed my life because um because my work was contract and more flexible um mm-hmm. I ended up being the stay at home mover sure. um while while Steve worked so I'm actually I'm behind in my game so um I really it's already out but I really want to play Deuce um and oh how do you pronounce it Asylum Asylum uh, Elysium Elysium that one. Um, I've been seeing that on Twitter, and that one really intrigues me. Um, yeah, same here. Uh, uh, I really want to play Millennium Blades. That actually, that one is coming out. Um, it was kickstarted recently from Level Ninety Nine Games, um, designed by Brad. Was it Brad Dalton? I, I'm sorry, Brad, if you're 
perchance listening. Um, but I, <laughs> I really enjoyed CCGs. As I, well, I was a big Pokemon fan when I was a kid. And um, I really enjoyed CCGs, and I really enjoyed the collecting and the like deck building aspect. But uh-huh. um, I have not let myself succumb to any other CCGs because it just it got out of hand. Like when a twelve-year-old can look like when I can look back at twelve-year-old me and just be like, yeah, no, that got out of hand. Like you know, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, somebody really should have stopped me because that was that was getting yeah. dangerous. Like fifteen-year-old me, like fifteen-year-old me was ashamed of my Pokemon, my Pokemon self. <laughs> so um, I have not let myself succumb to a CCG, and Steve has a similar issue. Um, he hasn't, he didn't CCG um, in school, but he he has a similar issue in regards to um, like RPGs, MMORPGs on uh, oh, yeah. video games. Yep, I have one as well. Um, and so we're both just like, we can't get into a CCG. We let ourselves get into Netrunner some, but we have some very strict rules about how we engage with uh, Netrunner. <laughs> I do too, yeah. <laughs> um, so Millennium Blades is really intriguing to both of us because it's like, it's, we're really hoping it'll scratch that CCG itch without actually being a CCG because yeah, it's a game cool. about CCGs. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely got to look into that one. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It's very different. Um, but that, I think, yeah, that's probably the one I'm like most excited about that's upcoming that I can think of. What you, do you, here's a, somebody asked me this question the other day. Um, they were looking at my game shells and they said, if you could only pick um, three of those games to save from a fire, which would they be? And it was incredibly difficult to answer. So from your collection, if you could only take three games, um, what, what are they? If I could only pick three games from my collection, I think, um, I think I would probably grab Jaipur because Steve and I love Jaipur and if nothing else, while we cried over the loss of our of our <laughs> beloved collection, we could play Jaipur. Yeah. Um, like we could probably get a game in while the fire department was pulling out, the, was putting out the fire. Like it's it's yeah. a pretty quick one. Um, uh, actually, yeah, like all the things I can think of are just are just games that Steve and I enjoy. Um, not necessarily because they're rare games or because I find them particularly awesome just because I'm like, well, that would suck to have to... That would be awesome if we could play it while we were rebuilding our collection. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess on that logic, I would grab our Netrunner collection, uh-huh. which might count as three games in and of itself because we have it in so many boxes. Um... Uh, Caverna. And Caverna. Yeah, Stephen. I, I, really I just like got Caverna, Caverna, and I still haven't unboxed it yet. Steve's. I really like Caverna. If I walked out of this room right now and said, "Hey, Steve, do you want to play Caverna?" He would. He would just be like, "Hell yeah!" Um, <laughs> Caverna is a game that we both really enjoy, but sadly, we just don't have the time to play it consecutively. Which is why the mm-hmm. Agricola uh, iPad app is so fantastic because we can play Agricola but without the like fifteen twenty minutes of setup. So. Sweet, that's awesome. Yeah. 
do you have a do you have a favorite uh, publisher designer like stuff that like if you pay if you play you know ninety percent of their games they usually all are hits for you. Um. Well, recently, so if you look at my shelf, you will think that um, Tasty Minstrel is the publisher that is my favorite. Um, uh-huh. I really do enjoy Tasty Minstrel games and their published quality. Um, I do too. But um, for developer, I feel like it's a toss-up between Antoine Bowser and uh, Rudiger Dorn. I think is how mm-hmm. you pronounce his name. The designer of Las Vegas and Istanbul. Um, mm-hmm. I actually didn't even realize this until I was um, prepping for a film review of uh, Las Vegas that we actually have like a lot of Rudiger Dorn games. Um, I'm actually going to cheat and look up on Board, board Game Geek to see what else he's designed. But um, <laughs> every game that we've played of his, we really enjoy uh, and I just I just didn't even realize. I mean, a lot of people talk about Stefan Feld and you know uh, Renier Canincia and and Renier he uh, Canincia has so many games. It's just you and like not all of them are amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. He so, wouldn't be one of my favorites. Yeah, he's a tough one. Um, Feld is like point salads. I like the crunchy point salads, but I'm not always like not like. Crazy excited about? Um, so, yeah. I, Rudiger Dorn, um, it turns out every game I've hit of his that I've played, I just really enjoy. Um, also, Antoine Bowser, I'm a massive fan of his, but um, lately, I don't know, I played Samurai Spirit. We got it, I got it at Gen Con and I even got it signed by him, and I just was not impressed at all with the gameplay, which makes me sad. Yeah, that stinks. Uh, I've heard the same thing. I haven't played it just because I'm. He's probably my favorite as well, um, but I yeah. know a bunch of my buddies played Samurai Spirit, and then they just said, "No, don't, don't worry about it," which really stinks because everything I've played from his has been golden for me. So I may just skip it. <laughs> I may just forget it happened. Yeah, I mean, have you played Ghost Stories? I haven't. One of my buddies has played it and loves it, and it's very difficult. He says. Yes, Ghost Stories is really tough, and we have Ghost Stories, and I love Ghost Stories, because it's, 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 there's a lot to think about, and there's a lot, um, to plan, and, like, you work together, and it's, it's, on your turn, you just have a ton to do, and, yeah, it's just, Samurai Spirit is, like, a, it's like he tried to make another co-op game that was as tense as Samurai, or as, as tense as Ghost Stories but easier, like more more uh-huh. likely that you'll win, and I think he just made it too easy there's just too few choices mm-hmm. um, and I think one of the reasons Ghost Stories is so awesome is because it's so intense and there are so many choices and I think yeah it's, yep no, that's cool <laughs> nerding yeah. on about Antoine Bowser He's great. He's great. It, but you know what? Um, I was thinking about Bowser the other day. You know, just just in my car. I think of the drive-through, and uh, which is really weird now that I think about it. Um, but he reminds me of the, you know, he's always so on the theme with all of his games. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know of a Bowser game that's not, you know, uh, 
Asian themed, uh, specifically Japanese themed. It seems like so many of them are. Uh, uh, well, like... Seven Wonders. <laughs> Where, oh you, yeah, you could argue. Um, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, sorry, I'm just exasperately signing about Samurai Spirit. Still, so. it's he's very he's a big he's. <laughs> He's a big fan of Japanese culture. I think it's pretty clear. Um, yeah. In his in his catalog, um, but yeah, uh, it's it it just flopped for me. And I still have my copy um, because I am trying to will myself to play it a few more times so I could review it and do the review justice. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like I don't I don't want to review. <laughs> his game and be like it's not great yeah no it's it's, um, it's bowser you know yeah that's if i if i have a game that somebody asked me to do a review for and i don't like it i'll just i'll just shoot him an email and say hey i'm sorry i just didn't like it i don't want to i don't want to put that sort of energy out there it's that's not what i that's not what i like i don't like watching stuff like that and i don't i don't know it just feels weird to me yeah well there's some reviews that like they almost have that like train wreck feel about just ripping a game apart for I know. for yeah. some I don't I don't even know I don't enjoy it but at the same point I'm sitting here going you know the existence of critical reviews that aren't necessarily always positive are really helpful when when people are looking to buy a game and they want to make sure that they buy stuff that they will have good experiences with so I'm like trying sure. to to weigh that against it like my small world review a lot of people really like small world and i just didn't i just i enjoyed mm-hmm. it when i first started playing it and then it just fell flat for me and so i did a review along those lines and a lot of people were kind of like you're wrong uh, <laughs> how dare you yeah and a lot of and then <laughs> every once in a while every once in a while though i get a comment or an email that's just like thank you for your review because you're right you know like i tried it and it didn't work with me and i'm glad i watched your review beforehand because i would have bought it otherwise and all that sort of stuff so it's it's yeah. it's tough because it's like you don't want to you don't want to go against popular opinion and you don't want to do something and end up being one of those brain wreck let's just yell at it and burn it and put it in a blender kind of people um but at the same point it's like the there is a place for well done critical negative reviews. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. It's just, it's like, just I, I just don't want to be the guy that does it. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah no, it's <laughs> tough, right? And yeah. that's why I haven't yeah. why I've only ever done a couple because I'm just like it's so it's so hard. <laughs> hmm it's like a balancing act. So, yeah. yeah, it really is. Well, we um, Tiff, we generally try to keep these things to about a half hour, so we're right there on time. So, um, would you like to say anything to the people that are listening to this pod? You know, you're gonna be you're gonna be at Origins. I'm sure you're gonna be at Gen Con and all these other awesome conventions. How how can people get in touch with you? Um, well, so the most effective way to get in touch with me uh, is Twitter. So my username on Twitter is the one tar. Uh, I will be at Origins and I will be at Gen Con, um, and I will also most likely, hopefully, potentially, knock on wood, be at Essen. Um, awesome. Trying, trying really hard for that. If you happen to see me at one of these cons, 
Say hi. Um, and if we've talked on Twitter, maybe maybe just tell me what your username is. Um, a lot of people come <laughs> up and like say hi to me and like act like they know me really well, and I'm just like, I don't know who you are because a lot of people just don't realize like your Twitter handle isn't always your first. Name. It's like not your name. It's usually like your logo or some funny saying, and then like your avatar is usually you know, a cartoon character or your kids or something. <laughs> um, so I've had a lot of people almost once a show come up to me and, and start talking. And I love it when people come up and recognize me. Um, it's just really awkward for me when I'm like, when when the person says hi and all this and they walk away and then the people I'm with are like, oh, who was that? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> um yeah. So anyway, you can find me on Twitter at the One Tar, and my YouTube channel is also the One Tar. Just YouTube.com/slash the One Tar. Um, so yeah, pretty straightforward. Basically, the One Tar everywhere on the internet, except for Board Game Geek because I was an idiot and didn't use that name there. Oh man, they sh- they should have a way for you to change it if they don't. I know. It's apparently it's really tough and it's almost I've considered sometimes just making a new account but I just have so much my my profile has existed for so long and I have so much game group game Greek cred that it's just it's tough so. yeah yeah man that's that really stinks surely somebody could do that have you tried emailing them and just saying hey yeah it's, it's they, <laughs> yeah I think if I was like mega popular they would but like if you look at like Rodney or uh, Rado has one, but Rodney's BGG name isn't isn't something that that is associated with his channel, so it's not uncommon. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Yep. Thanks. Oh, cool. All right, well, Tiffany, thank you so much for your time. It was awesome being get just getting to talk to you for a little while. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and we can always talk right via email or whatever. <laughs> Sweet. You don't have to awesome. invite me on your podcast to chat. noted i'll definitely do that and uh, give my best to steve have fun at origins and everybody else if you guys are going to a convention you see tiffany uh say hi be nice and uh be positive and awesome like like (laughs) all good gamers should be Mm -hmm. all right well thank you guys so much for listening um if you like this podcast please subscribe on itunes and stitcher smart radio tell your friends promote this thing on social media any any Anyway, uh, for you guys to just get somebody else listening really helps me out, um, and um, I really appreciate it. So I hope you liked it. We'll have more content coming very soon. And um, Tiffany, thanks again. Thank you.